lights go out in Walmart, y'all. <laughs> you know what to do. Amen. Praise God. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Miss Jen. Because I knew when I said that yesterday, people were looking at me like, that lady don't really do that stuff. I say, y'all, let me let y'all tell her. <laughs> let her tell you. So praise God. It's a good thing. Amen. It's always good to obey God. It's never wrong. You know, I see people sometimes that get all upset and nervous about um, how they say it. And did people receive it? If they didn't ask for prayer, whatever. A seed is a seed. You don't complain about it. If you go to plant tomatoes, you don't complain you put it in the ground wrong. Once it's planted, it's planted. So, amen. There's no right and wrong way to plant a seed, folks. So we we got to get over ourselves on that. But let God be glorified. Amen. It's a command to preach the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, we thank you for giving us this time to share your word and understand your word. We ask you to bless your holy word, Father. Thank you, Lord for the the righteousness that comes through faith and and the things that we can receive that we know that we need come through you so increase our understanding today father help us to understand your word in a greater way in jesus name amen and praise god amen 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 so i i thought i'd talk today about faith but i i think i'll focus on the fact that uh, your faith upsets the apple cart amen that upsets the apple cart. So I found a, a, a an explanation of uh, what that that term means. You know, it's a little uh, a little uh, I guess you can call it a secular proverb or uh, admonition. Don't upset the apple cart and all of that. And uh, traditionally, <clears throat> when people would would uh, <clears throat> would gather fruit. You know, they would put it out for display for sale or something like that. Apples were a little bit difficult to manage because you wanted to get as many uh, in the cart as possible, as many on display as possible. I know you've seen little cartoons or little things where somebody comes in and tips it over and the apples spill all over everywhere. Once they start to hit the ground, they're pretty much bruised, and so they're not valuable anymore. So there is a purpose to it, but um, it, it just uh, from this uh, definition that I found, it says here, upset the apple cart is an idiom which means change the established order of things. It changes the established order of things. It is a reference to the way that carts for selling apples are traditionally stacked in a neat and orderly manner. This keeps the rounded apples from rolling out of the cart and all over the floor. If you pull an apple from the wrong spot, the entire neat stack will fall apart and you have upset the apple cart. The metaphor implies that by making a drastic change to people's understanding or way of doing something, It causes a chain reaction where other assumptions have to be re-examined. In case you've, uh, 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 so he gives an example of the Stephen Hawking black hole thing. He says, upsetting the apple cart, sometimes upending the apple cart, means it's disturbing the established order of things. There's no sense in the expression that the apples are people who are upset and reconsidering anything. Well, he talks about it from merely a, a physical point of view. So um, 
it, really, when people say don't upset the apple cart, what they mean is just let things be the way they are. Let things go. Don't put any change in there. But I'm here to tell you that your faith is designed to upset every apple cart that's not stacked up in favor of the word of God. It also means to spoil or upset a plan, to disorganize or spoil something. It means an irretrievable upset, can't be put back together again. That's interesting because if that's true about our faith, we need to be using it every day, every hour, more and more. Amen. It's to change the established order of things. Apple carts are stacked in an, apples are stacked in a neat and orderly manner. Pulling one out can cause the whole thing to collapse. And so when your faith gets involved in something that doesn't line up with God's word, it will cause the whole thing to collapse. Your faith not only brings the promise to you, and this is what we need to really focus on because I'm of the opinion that more people would use their faith if they understood the far-ranging effect that it had on all things. Because what we do is we use our faith primarily to get what we want because we focus on us. And so when you focus on you, you forget that there's another side to your faith. It's not when God has to bring a promise to you, he has to upset the natural order of things of the devil wanting to rip you off. Because you were on your way to rip off. In fact, most of us have been ripped off all of our lives. Except when faith came in, you got a chance to get into redemption. You got a chance to get back into restoration. You got a chance to reclaim things. Amen. That had been stolen from you. So this is what faith does. There are two sides of it. There's a blessing side that the blessing comes into your life. But there's a disruptive side where it comes and it tears down things that are not like God. And see what happens many times is we focus on the disruption that comes with faith and we stop using it. Or we forget that sometimes things have to be rearranged in order for you to get what you want. In other words, you see an apple on the bottom of the stack and you want it. You can't just pull that apple out without upsetting other things there. You understand what I'm saying? So if you want to keep things in a status quo, you'll be very careful about those things. But I'm telling you, God does not want us to be careful about how we use our faith. Because your faith knows what it's doing. It has an assignment to not only bring blessing into your life, but it'll bring chaos to the enemy. It brings great disruption to the enemy. Amen. We see that every day in the news. We see people going crazy. Now you think, uh, uh, you'd think, uh, a madman had come into the White House the way they react to President Trump. Now I happen to believe the prophet so I can prosper. But I believe that the prophets that prophesied that he and weren't many of them, that he would become president and God had chosen him because with this nation was in danger of being given over to a one world government. Now, how many of you know when every one world government that has been tried has failed because of God's intervention? Not so much because, you know, we we got better 
planes and we back got bigger bombs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if it's going to take that, that's what he does. But God will not stand by and let anybody take his place. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. He is lord of all. And whenever one, we remember the Tower of Babel? The Bible said they were of one language and nothing they designed to do would be impossible to them. That was the first one world government. And what was the first thing they tried to do? Get back to heaven and take that over. You got me? So when that happens, God moves in to take over and continue what his plan is in the earth. But he's not going to let them get but so far. Now, if you you ask me, God can choose anybody he wants to choose for that job. But the reaction that that happens when that man gets up and talks is nothing but demonic. Now, if that don't look familiar to you, look at what happened when Jesus walked on the scene. Demons began to cry out. They couldn't hold still. They couldn't do anything. And so when God, when God anoints people, he anoints who he wants to for the job he wants them to do. There are a lot of people think I shouldn't be preaching. You understand what I'm saying? People have all kind of opinions about everything. You can't help who God picks. He does things after the counsel of his own will. He didn't ask you about creating the earth when he had to do it. Why is he going to ask you about anything else? And he don't care if you don't like the person. In fact, the more they're disliked, the more God can use them to do what he wants them to do. You understand what I'm saying? Be careful when people like you everywhere. You got 20 people, 1,000 people coming to sit up under you. You know, who needs a headache? Huh? You just do what God told you to do. But you best believe that we have somebody in the White House who is righting wrongs. Getting these some some of y'all relatives to be getting out of getting out of prison. (laughs) For real. Everybody knows there's too many people sitting up in there. You get in front of a jury, you don't know what you might get. Huh? You know, people get convicted on some of the flimsiest evidence. There's nothing, nothing that is circumstantial. And then they put you in jail and throw away the key. So this is nonsense, folks. We need to come back to, to a place where God can influence people who are in charge over us. You got people over you ain't got no business being in charge of anything. They don't know the Constitution, don't know anything about governing people. And they've been in so long, people just check their name off. They'd never have anybody run against them. What kind of democracy is that? You understand what I'm saying? It's supposed to be run by we the people. But we've developed a system. There's a system in place in the way we elect people that now that we have advertising and television, all they need to get is get some billionaires to keep paying for ads for them. And nobody else has a chance of winning anything. You understand what I'm saying? So you, you gotta understand and pay attention to things that are going on. You have to pay attention in all quarters as to what God is doing. So he don't care if you don't like President Trump. Do you know that? God don't care who you don't like. Who don't, he don't care who you do like. Huh? 
He's going to do what he wants to do. He's out for something else. So God has a way of disrupting the status quo. He disrupts what's going on in a routine manner from day to day. There are people who study these things, the global network of governments, and they believe that the global one world government plans to use Islamic terrorists as a defense force when people get out of control. When you and I want to go get a job and they don't want you to have it. Huh? When you and I want to do something that they don't like, they'll just send terrorists to take care of us. You understand me? Then people ain't religious. What kind of religion tells you you can kill people? That's not a religion. That's a bunch of thugs. And the globalists know how to use thugs to enforce. They have to enforce what they want to do. So you watch and you pray. And you start understanding what's going on. Don't get caught up in some emotion. Somebody don't like somebody. What are they doing? What are they doing that's so bad? Well, he cheated on you did too. Everybody down there in Washington and cheated on a wife or a husband. The Bible say who is without sin, you cast the first stone. Huh? Everybody's sins are forgiven if they confess them. Huh? He's no exception. You don't have to live out of your past all the rest of your life. What kind of nonsense is this? Hello? So your faith is going to work to pass judgment on illegal governments. It's going to pass judgment on things that are status quo and haven't moved in 40 and 50 years and are wrong and need to move. Your faith is going to upset some normal course of things that need to be upset. Your faith not only brings a promise to you, but there's a way that that promise comes to you that upsets the kingdom of darkness. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, we'll see an an example of how that happens. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not yet seen. So, God told him something was going to happen. And in the warning, God gave him instruction for how to preserve himself and his family. When God speaks to you, you always have a chance to turn your life around. God never just comes up to somebody out of the blue and say, I'm going to kill you. Huh? It's always, I'm going to kill you, but you know God has a mercy side. Amen. So you appeal and plead to his mercy side. Anybody with half a brain. There are people who have have been murdered and will ask their killer for mercy. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Well, you can do that with God. Huh? You do that with an evil person. You can certainly do that with a just God. So in Hebrews, uh, it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, 
was moved with fear and prepared an ark. He didn't, he wasn't moved with fear and got scared and started running and tried to run away from trouble. He was moved with fear and made a preparation to save himself and his family. If your fear moves you towards salvation, it's a good thing. Amen. So he was moved with a reverence of God and he was moved with an understanding and it was God's plan for him to prepare this, this ark. He pre- prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By doing this, he disrupted, he upset the apple cart of the world. The Bible said he passed judgment on the world with his faith. That's one translation. This translation says he condemned the world with his faith. Which means that every time he put a log and put a nail in, somebody got under conviction. See, you can preach with your actions. People see you coming to church and they're sitting up doing that. You keep going to that church, honey. There, you've condemned that person, whether you know it or not. You put them under conviction. They like picking at you because you're committed to God. It, it all you got to do. You don't have to say nothing to them. You don't have to answer them. All you got to do is keep doing what you're doing, huh? It puts them under conviction. Righteousness, expressions of righteousness always have that effect on people who are unrighteous. So the Bible says he condemned the whole world. Passed judgment on the whole world. And it says by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness which is by faith. So when he used his faith to obey God, to save his family, that was counted to him as righteousness. This is why faith upsets the natural order of things. Because we live in a world, you know, Satan is the God of this world. And this world is wicked. I don't care the best, the most fun this world has to offer is still unrighteousness it's wickedness why because of the author of it these people you know they well ain't nothing wrong with it ain't nothing wrong. if you keep saying that you you be on your way to hell and pretty soon it won't be wrong with nothing wrong with anything we want to do and so when righteousness comes in it comes in because somebody would dare to believe god in this situation, it was one man and his family was saved out of all the people in the whole world. Now, why was that true? In Genesis chapter 6, let's see what was going on. Genesis chapter 6 verse 13 and God said to Noah the end of all flesh is come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them with from the earth and uh, with the earth so God is going to destroy the earth and everybody in it 
He said then, this is his warning, make you an ark of gopher wood, rooms you shall make in the ark and shall pitch within and without. And this is a fashion which you shall make with it. So he gives him all the dimensions of the ark. And verse 18, uh, verse 17, behold, I, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh where is in the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. But I with you, I will establish my covenant and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons, wives with you and every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, etc., etc. So God tells him, I'm done with letting people do what they want to do. In other words, people are so polluted and so full of violence and so full of sin that they've damaged the earth itself. That's why all your global warming people are telling you it's going to go in 12 years. I want to go up there and tell that little girl, listen, honey, if you get your butt out of sin, we can all live. You ain't putting your sin on me. Because this earth is going nowhere as long as one righteous person is still here. It ain't going nowhere. You understand me? If it leaves, God is going to take it out and I'm going with him. I'm on his side. The problem with the earth is always sin. But the so-called smart people want to put it on something else. Now they're saying man is destroying the earth by breathing. How stupid is that? See, that gives them an excuse for killing a bunch of babies all the time. The devil had a plot to destroy the earth himself. And that's what was happening in the day of Noah. Just like the people of the earth now think this earth is going to be destroyed. They're just feeling the fires of hell. Did you know you can get so wicked you know hell is coming for you but you don't even know what it is? It's our job to let them know that's what they're feeling. They're feeling the fires and the condemnation of hell and they need to repent. No global warming. You kidding me? Oh, look, the polar bears don't have ice. I said they can, they know how to cry out to God. He created them. You can't help them. You really think you're smarter than God is? You're smarter than the creator. You can go out there and do something that's going to help them. He'd be slapped you back in the water. Ate you for dinner. You know what, Christians, we got to wake up and start asking God about stuff. Poking holes in some of this foolishness. The world has been coming to an end ever since I've been in it. When I was a kid, it was a group that said, the world is coming to, the Jehovah Witness always tell you, they don't buy insurance, they don't do this, they don't do that, because we know it's coming real soon. They set dates for it all the time. It never happens. God says no man know the day or the hour. He's It's locked up in God. If you told people the end was tomorrow, they'd go out and party, stay up all night long trying to enjoy as much sin as they could before it was over with. That's why God don't tell nobody his plans. 
But he told Noah because he wanted to save some righteous people. Now just think only eight people were righteous in the world at that time. Eight people believed God. The devil's plan was to kill everybody through violence. So he could run things. Noah's faith came in and upset the devil's apple cart of wanting to take people out of here in their sin. You got me? God is never going to let the devil just run stuff like that. He's always going to find some righteous people to stand up and do what he wants to have done so that his will will get done. He's not going to let... God created the earth. He not going to let anybody but himself destroy it under his circumstances. You got me? But the devil would like to see us kill up each other and shoot up each other and go crazy on each other all day long and all night long. So that he can say he ended the world through violence. But God said it's not going to be so. He said if I have to start all over again. I'm not going to destroy anything I created. What I create, I create it to last forever. And so God keeps his word to his own self. He don't need us to try and keep his word for him. Amen. He does it himself. So faith passes judgment on unbelief. Noah walked with God by faith. He loved God and God blessed him and upset the apple cart of corruption that was destroying the whole world. The established order of things at that time was in verse 11. The earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So that was the established order of things back then. When verse 14, God tells Noah to make himself an ark so that he can save his family. Verse 17, and behold, I, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that's in the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant. There's always a but. When God has to destroy something, he only destroys what slayed it for destruction. He never punishes the righteous with the wicked. He makes, that's why it's worth it to serve God. He always makes provision for righteous people. And so the established order of things was that everybody was going to keep being violent against each other, kill each other up. Amen. It's like we see right now in certain cities, the murder rate in places like Chicago being as high. That's the devil wanting to kill up everybody on his own terms. And as long as he can get people to to obey him wholesale and not sit up and and try to notice God and not try to give glory to God, not do anything toward God, then he can have his way in a place like that. People sit there and wring their hands and scared to go out of the house, scared to stay in the house, scared to sit near, near a window. Because they don't think that God can do any. They're so far away from God, they don't think God can do anything for them. But he can. Amen. If they'll trust him and they'll ask him, he can. And so they they succumb to that, to the devil's order of things. But God, amen. So the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. 
God brought the flood where the devil planned to kill man, make man extinct by having them kill one another. God killed everybody except a righteous remnant. There's always a righteous remnant left in the earth, folks. People who believe God in spite of. People who believe God when it's not fashionable to believe God. People who know the voice of God and will follow it long before everybody else catches on that this is God. You understand what I'm saying? That's the righteous remnant. Those are the people who hear from God and don't care what you think about it. You got me? And so when you are a person of faith, you're going to be put in that position. You're going to have to take a stand. You have to believe God. And you're going to have to go against the grain of everybody else in your group, in your family, whatever, you know, that that go their way. You're going to have to stand alone and not try to drag them people along with you. Amen. You let God take care of them. In 2 Kings chapter 18, no, let me see. Go to Isaiah 38. We'll talk about Hezekiah. Uh, There was an established order of things here for King Hezekiah that God had established for his life. We say Isaiah 38. Verse 1, in those days Hezekiah was sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And Hezekiah did something that upset the apple cart. Now this is the apple cart that God set. He says, whatever you want to do, do it quick. Because you ain't getting up off this bed. This is your deathbed now. It's not you. It ain't no longer your sick bed. We have converted you. Amen. It is now a deathbed. And so he tells the prophet to tell him that. So that makes it official. Amen. So God, this ain't something that Hezekiah was feeling bad. And he thought to himself, oh, I think I'm going to die. No, it was official. You was a dead man, Hezekiah. Amen. You ain't getting up. And so... He says that Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now, this works for people who know God. If this is your first opportunity to get to know God, he's a merciful God. It could work. But Hezekiah is a man who has a covenant with God. In other words, he is a righteous man. He ain't no sinner. He's not somebody that's a stranger to God. He's not, you know what I'm saying. He's probably been lying there knowing why he's sick and hasn't got it straightened out yet. You know. <laughs> a little naughty here, a little naughty there. Man, been mad at somebody for no reason. Huh? regard iniquity in your heart is going to bear some fruit somewhere in your soul and your body you got to understand god's covenant folks you have the ability it's a command to forgive people it's a command to live righteous 
See, the, the promises of God are for people who maintain righteousness. Not just get right when you need something and go back to living like you've been living. Huh? So Hezekiah turns his face to the wall. He shuts out every other influence. Sometimes it's good. Turn the TV off. Get your Bible in front of you. Or no Bible. Just you and God. Just talk. You understand what I'm saying? And and go to God. And that's just it. And so he says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. That's all he did. Just prayed and said, God, remember when I was doing the right thing. Remember how much I've always done for you, God, that you told me to do. Remember the days I was obedient. Huh? I don't know about you, but I think that would move God's heart. Because it's like this. God, if you have, and then he puts the responsibility on God to make a decision in his behalf. So God is a God who keeps covenant and what? Mercy. He's a mercy. He keeps mercy. In other words, mercy is on his every thought. Mercy is in every word that he speaks. Mercy is around him all the time in his dealings with everything. So he keeps that. Amen. That's his possession. So Hezekiah then appeals to God and puts it on him. Now, God, now that I've shared these things with you that I'm I'm accustomed to doing for you, the decision is yours as to what you're going to do for me. And so Hezekiah is one of these people. When you have a covenant with God and you understand God, you know that you never run out of mercy. You might run out of a lot of things. You might not have money to pay bills. You might not have a, a decent, you know, uh, menu to eat from or whatever. But you never run out of God's mercy. His mercy endures forever. You can always appeal to the mercy of God for whatever you need. See, many times people, you know, when trouble comes to them, they try to figure out how to get out of it themselves. Like, if if I straighten this up on my own, then I won't have to go to God and say anything to him about my condition, my situation. Because, you know, God might might not want to do it for me because I done done this and I done done that. And you understand what I'm saying? That hesitation and reluctance sometimes we have to go to God immediately comes from iniquity. It comes from you feeling estranged from God and like it can't be repaired. You got me? We'll, we'll, we'll tiptoe around our problem instead of confronting it. We'll, we'll try and, and get back to our steps and formulas of how to receive from God. You ever done that? Go back to some of them. Oh, oh yeah, I got to get my so-and-so teachings out. Why don't you just talk to God? He's right there. He's not a teaching. He's God. Amen. And so if we would just come clean, that's that's the way I look at it. So Hezekiah came clean. 
and he figured he'd put his best his best argument forth for living and that is god remember how i used to do this for you and how i used to do that for you so apparently hezekiah had backslid to some degree because he probably wasn't doing it right now This is the the Old Testament way of repentance, folks. This is reminiscing and bringing God into remembrance, the relationship that you've had that you should still have. Amen? And letting God understand that, man, you know, if you just gave me a little more time, God, that we could get them old days back again. Remember them days I would fast and pray and do all that stuff, God? I would go out and pass out tracks all day long and all. Who gonna do that for you if you kill me? You gotta give it your best shot. I mean, come on now. This man is on his deathbed. When are you going to pray that prayer? See, that prayer is always there for all of us to pray. Amen? So here has the guy, he's laying up there. Hey, hey, you know, I, I know what the prophet just told me, but I can pray too. I know, I ain't no prophet and I ain't no priest, but I know how to touch God. Hey? And so, verse 4, soon as Hezekiah got that out of his mouth, say, remember, Lord, I pray you how I have walked before you in truth and a perfect heart done which was good in your sight that he wept sore. I mean, he he let it all hang out. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying, go and say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and behold, I will heal you. Amen. And I will add 15 years to your days. And he didn't deliver him to stay in trouble. Because they had enemies that were threatening Israel all the time. And he said, and I will deliver you this, this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. And it shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of degrees which has gone down on the sundial 10 degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees by the degrees it had gone down. Um, Astronomers claim that there's 10 minutes missing out of earth time. It can be verified. That from where, where people have begun to keep time and records, record of time, they say that there's 10 minutes missing. I wonder where them 10 minutes went. <gasps> if they read their Bible, huh? Hezekiah got the missing 10 degrees. Huh? And so, uh, yes, amen. And so, you know, it was easy to push a sundial forward. But it was hard to maneuver it backwards. So God does the hard thing as a sign to him. It's something only God can do. Amen. It's something only God can do. And so Hezekiah has this sign. And so they they prepare a, a uh, pack, you know, like a 
you know, like a packing you would put on a, a looks like he had some kind of um, systemic disease, like people get boils and stuff like that. And so they made a poultice, what it called, packing out of fig, figs, and put it on there, and he was healed. Now, how many of you know they use that in hospitals? They don't. They don't. But let me tell you what they do use. They have, have when they have people in hospitals who have bedridden for a long time that have bed sores where they will lie in one place and that because circulation leaves that area, tissue starts to die off, they'll put sugar on there. And people have been healed with a constant application of sugar. If you irrigate it with sugar water and then irrigate it off, if you keep it up long enough, it will heal that wound. Amen. So there's always truth. Whatever is in the Bible is true. You understand what I'm saying? There's some truth. Am I right, Miss Pat? Yeah. And so, so they have done that as a derivative of the fig. Because that's what figs are. They're sweet. There's the active ingredient in figs is sugar all the time. And so Hezekiah gets his, his uh, fig poultice that's uh, placed on his womb, and he gets 15 more years. Amen. They weren't 15 years sin-free either. He made mistakes again. God doesn't heal you contingent upon you never making another mistake. He heals you because he's merciful and because he has a covenant of healing with you. I remember hearing a, a, a testimony of a young man who was a drug dealer, and he said he owed two men money. And he said, he said I thought for sure uh, um, I could get away from it. He said, and they cornered me one night. One sat on one side, one sat on the other side in the back seat of a car and shot him in the head and he said he said I went out he said the next thing I knew I was in the hospital emergency room and so somebody had contacted his mother who said uh, she said she asked if, if she could speak to her son she was on the phone I think she was in another city and they told her he wasn't in a position where where she could and that he was critical and that they didn't expect him to live. And she started praying in tongues on the other end of the phone and she said, oh no, my baby is not going to die. God promised me he would live. She said, you put that phone on, I don't care how where you got to take this phone to, put it up there so he can hear me. And she began to pray the word over him and life came back into him. God healed him, and he went back out and started selling drugs again, taking more drugs. I want to go slap him. He's sitting up there giving his testimony, and the, and and I think he was on like seven hundred clubs. Somebody, you know, atmosphere kind of casual like that. Where, and uh, it might have been Pat Robertson was was interviewing him. Pat said, "Well, did you serve the Lord then?" Well, no. And I'm going to slap him, Pat. Slap him. Slap him. Huh? He went out and messed up at least a couple more times. And what really got him, he said, one night somebody overdosed. 
And he was in the room with like, he said it was a couple of girls, a couple of our girls and you know, prostitutes make money for them so they can buy drugs. A couple of my girls and, and then the, the, this dude just passed out. He said, and I just grabbed everybody's hand. I said, oh, we better pray. We can't let him die. He said, and we prayed and he began to wake up and he said, God came in there so strong. He said, them girls said, ooh, that's God. We better stop. Huh? They all shot out of there, never got back together again. Amen. They say, you done, you done brought God in here. You better stop. Amen. So God knows how to manifest himself to people, but I'm telling you, he heals you. Period. Amen. With Hezekiah, it was reminding God. God, if you don't heal me, what are all your people going to do? I'm the king around here. You need a king, don't you? Remember the days when I did stuff right? Well, you know, before I messed up like I did this last time I messed up. I mean, it's the truth. You don't go to God with your, you know, wonderfulness. Huh? <laughs> you're so wonderful, heal yourself. But you know, you go to him, you go to him with your truth. Huh? Say, God, is there something I'm missing here? You know, I didn't, I didn't pray for everybody. I didn't repent for everything. I, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I've murdered whatever, who, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, you come clean. That's what you do. When you need something from God, you come clean. Righteousness gets it every time. You put your faith and your confidence in him. God, I'm expecting you to heal me. God, I'm expecting to get better. I'm expecting that you, because I have a covenant with you. You told me you were going to do this for me. Huh? So that's what Hezekiah did. He relied on his covenant with God. Mm -hmm. He knew he made mistakes, but God's love is greater. And he knows it. Amen. See, you got to know that. You don't let the devil corner you and start telling you, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong. Mostly that's in us. That ain't, you can't even give the devil credit for that. So the planned order of things was that he would die. He totally upset the planned order because he, con- he convinced God to let him live. In verse 38, 18. This is what Hezekiah's faith did. You see. Okay, start in verse 9, because this is important. I, I like this about Hezekiah. Verse 9 says, the, uh, the writing, see the other hand of the king. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. So this is his memoir of the sick dead elevated to a deathbed, now a healing bed. He said, I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go down to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. See, this is how you get the will to live. Do you understand what I'm saying? You start understanding the things that you would miss when you leave here. 
if you ain't ready to miss nothing, then you have incentive to stay. I mean, that's just how it is. Uh, I remember speaking with somebody. They, they were told that there was nothing could be done for them. And I said, I said, you have a decision to make. I said, you can live or die, but do whatever makes you content. Seek contentment between you and God. You understand what I'm saying? Don't put people under pressure to to keep fighting and keep struggling and you don't know they're. You send them to God. You, they, have, they have a covenant with him, not with you. And your little goofy steps and formulas and pulling out your stuff and your jazz and you know what you want. You know, you have to, that, that's their decision. But but you minister hope to them. You know, we, we just get contentment with God. That's the most important thing to do. That's what I believe that for that person. And once you know that you're content with God, then God handles the rest of it. Amen. And so uh, when we're when we're like that, when we're hanging between a decision that has to be made. Something that now sometimes, you know, there's an option for you in with the world. You know, sometimes we're wanting God to heal us supernaturally and, and sometimes that's not possible or whatever the situation is. But seek peace and contentment. This is what gave Hezekiah peace and contentment. And he said, I will not see the Lord. Verse 11, even the Lord in the land of the living, I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness. From day even to night will you make an end of me. I reckon till morning that as a lion so will he break all my bones. From day even to night will you make an end of me. Now this is a man who's anticipating gross suffering at the hand of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's thinking to himself, I'm not ready to die. Because, you know, it's like, God, it's pouncing on me and I'm going to be hurting day and night and I can't endure this. Now, listen, that is what some people believe. And if that's what they think is going to happen to them, they need to find a way to settle that and get peace with God. You understand what I'm saying? Because God promises us peace he understands if it's time your time to leave this earth you can make a peaceful transition but he's thinking something about god that's not quite right you understand what i'm saying he's thinking god gonna punish and torment him day and night he's not gonna have any rest and all this kind of stuff you can't think that way and 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 know that that you're hearing right about god or your thinking is right about god and so he says like a crane or a swallow, verse 14, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. My eyes fail with looking upward. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. In other words, take this off of me, Lord. Says, what shall I say? He has both spoken to me and himself has done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So will you recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, 
but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption for you have cast all my sins behind my back you got me let there be nothing that can separate you from God amen you got to be assured that there's nothing standing between you and God he says for the grave cannot praise you death cannot celebrate you they that go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth the living the living he shall praise you as I do this day the father to the children shall make known thy truth the Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. For Isaiah has said, let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil and he shall recover. Hezekiah also said, what is the sign that I shall go up into the house of the Lord? Now, you know, the sundial went back uh, 10 minutes. So really what Hezekiah was saying is that on his deathbed, he began to see life. He began to speak life. He began to expect life. His faith turned from death to life. Even though God had, God told him he was gonna die. Is Hezekiah bigger than God? No, but he can appeal to a side of God that will preserve his life. And that's what he did. He just put himself in the thought of I've got to live and I cannot die. You might have to do that sometimes. You know, there are people that, that you'll see. Um, uh, there was a woman I know we prayed for her for a long time. She lived a long time. She was married to a football player. Um, shoot. Her name was Stephanie. Her husband played football and he quit to stay home and take care of her they had like three young girls this was back in the 90s oh i wish i could think of their their name but anyway she passed away after her her daughters got to be about in their early 20s and she passed away and she had had breast cancer that went to her lungs I mean, it had infiltrated her body in, in so many different areas, yet she lived another 15 or 20 years. And I thought to myself, and, and I asked the Lord, I said, what, why couldn't she? She lived 20 years. Come on now. 20 more? And he said, she, and, and what the Lord showed me, he said, people ask me for what's, what motivates them to want to live. And he said, many times people, mothers especially said, I just want to live till my kids grow up. He said, if she had asked me to see her grandchildren grow up. In other words, don't make your expectations so short. Because they say when you're cancer free for five years, you're considered cured. Why did it come back on her after 20 years? It must be her faith ran out for it. You understand what I'm saying? So ask God for what you really want. Hezekiah was a man up in years already. And yet he asked God, he said, I want to be alive to praise you. I want to be alive to worship you. I want to be alive to see you again in the sanctuary. Heal me so I can get up off this bed and enjoy my life. Not, not heal me a little bit so I can just barely maneuver. 
but get me back up and up and running on my feet in a sanctuary where I can lift holy hands and praise you like I've always done. To me, that's living, God. Amen. And so ask him what living means to you. And make sure you're living for God. You don't want to ask him for time so you can go buy some more purses or, you know, get another whatever we try to get. You don't live your life for the world anymore. You got to be serious about God. I don't have to do nothing else but what you tell me to do. If I stay on my knees all day long, so be it, you know, whatever. Um, Joshua chapter 2. So, okay, so Hezekiah upset the order that God had set. The first one, Noah, upset the order that the devil had set. He wanted to see people kill each other till everybody was dead, including him. But God didn't let it happen. In Joshua chapter 2, So uh, Jericho is the first the first assignment for the children of Israel under Joshua as their commander. Moses, of course, is dead. Joshua takes over second in command. Joshua's had about 40 years of study to be a leader under Moses. Um, In chapter two. So so they have permission now by God to go into Jericho. But they're going to have to spy out the land to see what it's like. In 2 verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun sent out to Shittim two men to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came to a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Now these are holy men. Amen. And it's, it's, they're not customers. In other words, you know, let's get this straightened out. They're there to spy out the land. And so, and God will use unusual circumstances. Amen. For his glory. You don't ever question why God had them stop at a hooker's house for the night. And so they're there and it was told the king of Jericho. So we got spies spying on spies Rahab had the kind of house where everybody knew it anyway let's just be honest okay well it's the truth so somebody sees some strange men going in there huh well that this is supposed to be uh, this is supposed to be Nadab's night. What he doing? Go rushing up there. I know who always coming in and going out, and them ain't the right men's going up in there. So they stood out. Amen. It's interesting. She might have let them in with something else in mind. They might have come to her unknowing what kind of person she was, but it was God. Amen. It was God. It was told the king of Jericho, and behold, there came men in there tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent into Rahab, saying, Bring those men out that are come to you, which are entered into your house, for they are come to search out the country. 
And the woman took the two men and hid them, which, you know, she's good at that. And said, thus there came men to me, but I don't know where they went. Huh? Now she had probably done this. Old Pete might have come by there one night and his wife came. My husband better not be up in there, Rahab. I'm whooping you. He ain't here. I don't know. He's, he ain't been by here tonight. So she got a, a set place already up on the roof where she be hiding men anyway. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, God will send you to people who can help you. You want to go to a professional hider outer kind of person who can lie to somebody with a straight face and convince them that they telling the truth. I mean, why would God send you to some rookie chick that's going to turn you in? Huh? But God said, okay, I'll send him to a professional, somebody who know how to help help a brother out. Huh? She took him and hid him on the roof. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out and she... He took the, okay, go back to verse four. So the woman took the two men and hid them and said, said this, there came men to me, but I don't know where they went. And it came to pass about the shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men I went, where they went, I don't know. But you know what? It ain't been that long that they left. If y'all leave here right now and run after them, you'll catch them. <laughs> so they did what she said. Because they used to doing what she tells them to do. So you run out and catch them. So they run out and they look for these men. And they cannot find them. So the natural order of things. Was that these men would have been found. And they would have been killed. Because they're enemies. In fact. Israel is well known by all of their neighbors. All the time. That's true even now. Everybody who's fighting against Israel now knows their history. They know that God always fights for those people. That God depends on the United States to back them up. They know all of this stuff. And so they, she went, the men pursued after them the way to Jordan to the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up upon the roof and she said to the men, this is verse nine, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How she know that? Hello, hooker talks to everybody. Pillow talk. She got more information about everybody in that city than anybody in that city. Knowing people's business is her business. That's part of her business too. And she says, I know the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. In other words, she said, everybody in the city is scared of y'all. And she says, in all that the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard. Now she know her Hebrew history. How the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two. 
That's faith talking, folks. That's faith talking. She got faith in their God. This is what Israel was instructed to rehearse in their own ears when before they went out to battle. She makes a better spy than the other ten that you understand 40 years ago. She said the, the ones that stood against you were utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you swear to me by the Lord since I have shown you kindness. Now she good at bargaining. She make a living as a hooker. She good at making a deal. Since I have shown you kindness that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She's a good intercessor. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if you utter not our business. And it shall be when the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And she let them down by a cord through the window for her house was upon the town wall. And she dwelt upon the wall. She gets them coming and going. Amen. And she said to them, get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers return here. And afterwards, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be blameless of this, our oath, which you have made us to swear. Behold, when we come to the land, we should that we will bind the cord of scarlet thread in the window, which you did let us down by. And you will bring your father, mother, and all your brethren out of your father's house, head home unto you. So your life will be spared. All we need to do is see a scarlet thread hanging in the window. Amen. Not what you usually put in there. You understand what I'm saying? A scarlet thread. So that we'll know that your house is under the blood. That scarlet always represents the blood of Jesus. Amen. So she has faith on the inside for them coming from the outside. It's always, this is something, this is a war tactic that people have used for centuries. When you get ready to invade a country, they have Oftentimes, people have within that country what they call a fifth column. And that is people on the inside that are converted to the enemy so that when the enemy makes his move to take over, they can have help from the inside. Amen? And not have to depend on them doing all the work from without to get within so that they can take things over. That's why people, foreign countries, you know, wiretap and bug people and try to interfere with people's lives in different nations. Why? So that they can create a faith fifth column within a nation so that they can call those people. They call them sleeper cells. For instance, if, if there's some terrorists that want to take over this nation, they'll create what they call sleeper cells of people who are citizens in this country. 
and they can call them up at the proper time, at the time of invasion. It's a very powerful strategy. So they have Rahab inside the city as a fifth column person, but they're not going to need her help in the warfare, not so ever whatsoever. And she knows that. She knows that once they get in here, that wall is going to collapse or that those people are going to give in to them or whatever. But she just wants them not to kill her and her family, and she will be saved. So she upsets the natural order of things because God ordered everybody else to be killed. That was in that, that city. Jericho was an accursed city because the children of Israel came in and took it over. And so Rahab and her family were saved because she hid the spy. She, of her faith in their God, upset the order of things. Many times when they had wars back in those days, they would just fight to the death and whoever was left was left. But she knew for a fact that if those Hebrews ever got to that city, that they were all dead people. Amen. And so she made her bargain with them and she was able to live. So her faith upset the natural order of things and it worked to her good. But the rest of the people there were killed. Amen. They didn't make it. So her faith was able to cancel the devil's plan to kill her and her family. Amen. So they were brought out alive. And Joshua 6, I think it's 23, says, So the men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all things that befell them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. So this is a good report that they could have brought out of, you know, out of the promised land over 40 years ago. And so they were able to understand that God was going to fight for them and they would be successful in their their fight against um, against uh, Jericho. So praise God. Um, let me see. We had a time for one more, I think. What time is it? What time? How much time do we? eight minutes? Lord, 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 Lord. Praise God. Let me see what I can do in eight minutes. Amen. Praise God. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Upsetting the natural order of things. Amen. When your faith upsets the natural order of things. This is Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Satan's plot was to take, take Jesus and kill him. And bury him and he would be seen no more. He, he thinks that he's won this war that started really in heaven, continued down here on earth. In Matthew chapter 27, we see, I get 27 here. Hello. Verse 38, I think. This is where Jesus is crucified. the whole page Matthew 
In verse 32, we'll start there. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled him to carry his cross. And when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted of it, he would not drink it. And they cruised. You know that vinegar and gall was an anesthetic. And so he refused any kind of earthly help in his suffering. They crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Let me see if this is the right one. Okay. Which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestiture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set this up over the head of Jesus. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. There were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right, the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, you destroyed the temple and build you that destroyed the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Now, this is Satan's attempt to overthrow Jesus's government. Why? Because if he doesn't die for our sins, we die in our sins. So he defeats the whole purpose of this whole Bible up until that point. Everything points to Jesus as being the savior of all of mankind. So Satan is taunting him and tempting him to act like just a mere human, but he's not. And the devil will soon find out that out. In Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus' purpose fulfilled. Luke, you mark Luke. Come on, Luke 23. Sorry about that. In verse 34. They crucified, verse 32, two other um, uh, robbers with him to be put to death. And they were come to a place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him and the other malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his clothing and cast lots for it. And the people stood beholding the rulers also with them, deriding him and saying, he saved other people, let him save himself and went about mocking him. Jesus's mission was to pay the price for the sins of the whole world. Now, when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It wasn't just those people standing there mocking him. He said that for everybody that would ever sin, that would need it. So while he's offering himself up, he states why his offering is being made. That's the way things are supposed to go in, in, in the priesthood. When the priest would, would you would offer, give your offering, you had to give the appropriate offering for what you had done. If you were poor, you could give a turtle dove or, or a, a bird or something that didn't cost much. But every sin had a required sacrifice. You just couldn't bring what you felt like you wanted to bring. And you had to confess what it was for. Jesus was not making atonement for his own sin. 
He was making atonement to forgive the sins of the world. And that's why that was stated that way. So that anybody walking by would know that he was not guilty of anything, but he died as a man full of mercy, forgiving everybody who trespassed against him. So he did not die in his sins. Even though he might have been angry at people, he had a, he stated, forgive them as he was dying. So that cleared him of being crucified for anything that he may have done, even though we know he was a sinless man. Amen. But people looking on don't know that. After that, he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, which means his spirit didn't go into hell without the protection of God the Father. So he didn't go in there as his own priest. He put his father in control over his spirit so that it was ministered over under the father's care. So he didn't get punished down in hell. He walked through hell victorious. Only soul that's ever walked through hell victorious. So when he went through there, the Bible says he led captivity captive. He led the ones. The Bible says he also made an open show of the devil and mocked him. So just as those people were mocking him, he forgave him immediately and began to mock the devil when he showed up in the lower parts of the earth. Because he went down there with the authority of the Father over him. He did not go on his own power. That's why it's good to be saved. So that when you face your deathbed and you face eternity, you don't want to go on your own power. People who don't confess Christ and don't get born again, when they show up in hell, they're there on their own power. Isn't that right, Jan? And there's nothing you can do at that point. I know Catholic people like to burn candles and hold masses for the dead and all that, but you should have done something while they was living. You should have spoke up while they were here. You should have told them hell was real while they were right here on earth because at that time it's too late to do anything for anybody. Jesus is the only soul that went into hell victorious over it. Amen. And so God wants you to know that he, your faith can upset your faith that you use to do your prayers and all, it can upset the whole world. It's like Noah. It upsets the normal flow of things like Rahab. She's an unlikely person to get mercy, but she got mercy. Huh? Because she was smart enough to put herself in a place where she could plead for herself and her family. Amen? And so God wants us to understand the power of our faith to disrupt what the devil wants to do. When you pray for your loved ones, you, you're there to disrupt, disrupt what the devil wants to do. Amen. You're not there to gloss over things and try to make nice and be friends with everybody. We're fighting for lives here, folks. You're not fighting for you. You don't care what people think about you. As long as somebody, amen, benefits and you can get your faith in there to do things that will help mankind. Amen. All right, why don't we stop. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you for giving us the things that we need, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you.
We praise you. We magnify you. We extol you. We lift you up, Lord, because you are worthy to be praised. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you do, all you've done for us, all you continue to do. And we honor you and we love you. Father, we honor women today. We honor mothers today because mothers do give life on earth. And I pray for women, Lord, especially who might be contemplating abortion today. I pray that they would see themselves as mothers and not as victims and not as murderers, Father, that they would glory in the fact that you have chosen them to bring life into the earth. For it is an honor and a blessing from you, Father. We ask that you would elevate the thinking of all women to the place where they understand their worth, they understand their value, because you created them and you did not make any mistake in your creation. So we thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that blessing. Touch every woman, Father, today with your mercy and your love and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Praise God.